seated. So it was the summer of 2019. Oddly enough, that's this last summer. At any rate, it was the summer of 2019, and we had decided to go on a uh, family trip. At first, we wanted to go on a big road trip. I'm not a big road trip fan guy, type of guy. I'm kind of like, um, okay, at any rate. And, but that got changed, and so we ended up going on a short road trip, and the destination is Chicago, the Windy City. And uh, for those of you that uh, know that place, you know it well and love it. We wanted to go see Hamilton, right? But when you go see Hamilton, there's more than that. You want to, like, eat some great food. And, of course, if you're going to Chicago, you're going to eat Chicago pizza, right? And this is one of those topics, right, we've talked about before. And um, basically, we went to the place that we were staying. It was a B&B, uh, not a B&B, uh, uh, a VRBO. And, and we, we asked the owner, where's the best pizza around? She's like, well, that's, that's a tough question because there's a lot of opinions about that. She's like, but anyone who knows, anyone who knows would say Chicago Pizza and Oven Grinder at 2121 North Clark is the best, most unique pizza in, in, in the entire city. Now, that may be an issue that some of you would, would take issue with, and I get that. I understand that. This is one person's opinion. I'm simply reporting that person's opinion. For those of you that know 2121 North Clark, you're thinking, isn't that a familiar address? Yes, it's right across the street from where the St. Valentine's Day Massacred uh, happened at the hands of Al. Compone and his henchmen. At any rate, the Chicago pizza and oven grinder, it really, it's, it's as much of a pizza, it's as much of a pot pie as it is as a pizza. So they, they, they throw all the ingredients and you only get one option. Mushrooms. You can get your sausage pizza with or without mushrooms. That's it. That's two things on the menu. And the place is like, you're stacked in there like cordwood. There's no way it meets fire standards. Absolutely, absolutely impossible. An oven grinder, for those of you that don't know, is just a sandwich. So Hamilton, right? Story of Alexander Hamilton, yes, based on the book by Ron Chernow. Um, I, I, a couple of cute little lines. I'm just like my country, young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. I kind of like that line. It's, I'm just like my country, young, snappy, and hungry. Did you know that Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers, actually wasn't born in the United States of America? Which brings up the next line in one of the songs, Immigrants, We Get the Job Done. It's Hamilton and Lafayette talking to each other. This founding of our country is very unique, very intriguing, very wonderful, very complex. We have this thing called the Constitution. Article 1 articulates that we are to establish a legislative body, makes the laws. Article number 2, we are to establish an executive branch, which enforces the law. And Article 3, the judicial, is to make sure everyone abides by the law. Now, the judicial side of things was really got, well, in the case, Marbury versus Madison got this sort of like punched up view of the judiciary in which the judiciary was not only viewed as a place where you went to make sure you were doing right from wrong, but it was a place to comment on the Constitution itself. The Supreme Court, the established highest court in the land, your absolute last stop. Some of you don't like the civics lesson. Let's go to the text. 585, 24. 
this is kind of the end of this section, okay? The end of this heaviness. Next week, and there's a little bit of it here too. The, next week, it, it's just, it's refreshingly, just like flip over the page, okay? Go to, go to 586 and just a, just a teaser, okay? Just want you to come back next week. God will swallow up death forever. That is so cool, you know? And then 26, chapter 26, the following week, you keep him in perfect peace. Okay, so that's what's coming up. But here, let's get into it. Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. Okay, so 24 is kind of viewed as as this whole end of this oracle phase, right? But also with the eye that we've had, or at least kind of put forward, that we're not just talking about the events in 700, but the prophet is also looking perhaps, there's no certainty, we don't have Isaiah with us today, Looking forward to the end of all things. Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. As it shall be, as with the people, so with the priest. As with the slave, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken his word. Now, it's poetry, right? And so poetic language isn't designed to be taken literally, but, but it feels like a pretty heavy message, and it feels like this is on God, right? God is doing these things. Text goes on, verse 4. The earth mourns and withers, though the world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. And again, we're kind of like, God, why, why are you doing this? I mean, you made this place, right? The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. It's this this end, right? This end of these oracles. And consistent, it's, it, it's, a, it's a chapter that seems more comprehensive than a simple take on things that are happening in 700 B.C. Or B.C.E. if you prefer. If you're a B.C.E. person, it's always funny to me, the folks who like B.C.E., it still hinges on the birth of Christ. B.C., before Christ. B.C.E., before the current era. Okay? It, it still hinges on the, the... At any rate... The end of the oracles, the end of things. Every, eh, things might even be the end of the world. This is the end, beautiful friend. Hashtag Jim Morrison, which is a very weird song. I wouldn't suggest you listen to it with children. The end sometimes is truly a friend. And sometimes it's nice to just have the job done. H- have you ever been there? Where, where you get to the end of a long, exhausting project, and you're just, you're just like, I just, w- I just want it to be over. I don't even care necessarily how it ends. I just want to be done. I think that's what God feels like in chapter 24. The sense of relief. Now, some of you might think, oh, you're, you're making God a little bit too, too imminent, a little too close, a little too personal. And, and I can understand that. 
please. I, w- I want to hold both of these concepts, right? The imminence of God, the closeness of God, as well as the transcendence of God, the overarching nature of God. And, and when I say something like, maybe that's what God feels like, glad that it's finally over, maybe I'm making him a little too close and a little too personal. But certainly in my theology, I want to hold both intention because God promises to be close, God promises to be personal, and God promises to be over all, overarching, and above all. And those can be hard concepts to understand, right? Because we as humans can only do one or the other, okay? It, it, it's so difficult for us, say, to be truly, truly friendly and close to someone, yet remain that, that healthy, overarching the situation. It, it's really tough. We usually either go one way or the other. We're either too detached or we're too close, and so we cannot figure it out. And, and God's like, that's not how God functions. And what we have described is, is the end, And I think there's a sense of relief on God's part. How it hits us is somewhat up to us, right? Because we can welcome the end or we can fear the end. I mean, sometimes we can't wait for a hard project to be over. We, we so welcome the end that we cannot possibly wait for it to happen. So much so in our thinking, we almost move past the process that we're in the midst of just to think about getting to the end of a project. And others, okay, other situations where we're, at, we're nearing the end... We're going to lose something, something is going away, uh, a process is over, our life is nearing its end, and, and, and we so don't want the end to come, and we fear the end. But there's no need to fear this. There's no need to fear a future reality in which the prophecy comes true. Like any other reality, just, just plan for the situation. Be prepared, right? Verse 5, The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws and violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Now, if we were only to read verses 1 through 4, we might get the clear sense that God is some sort of vindictive being who's like, hey, I want to make the terrarium. I want to put a bunch of people in the terrarium. I want to see how they do life, and then I just want to blow it all up. Nothing could be further from the truth. In verse 5, we have this discussion, this reality, again in poetic form, about why these bad things have happened and why these bad things will happen. And all of the discussion about why bad things happen and all the accusations of God made it this way fail to stand up in this Supreme Court. Isaiah is writing, the reason why things look as bad as they do, it's humans. Now, I know that each and every one of us want to think in terms of how precious we are. And it's true, we have great value. All humans are image bearers of God at our creation. What we do with it from there is kind of on us. And there is this duality, right? 
we, we have this great value, but we also seem to make really poor choices. We have this capacity to do good, and yet frequently we are less than that. We, we, we take these amazing step forwards, and then, and then we go sliding backwards like being on ice on an incline with wind blowing in our face and little more than slippers on our feet. A couple years ago, I'm walking to the High Falls on the Pigeon River in northern Minnesota, northeastern Minnesota, and, and we weren't prepared to walk on ice. It's, the irreparable harm that our world sees, according to Isaiah, the earth lies defiled under its inhabitants. For they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth. So when I'm in um, uh, Chicago, right, we stop in a store, and, and a bunch of stuff is on sale, so that's what draws us in, right? Cheap prices, we want things for, for less money. And the store that I was in was Patagonia, and so I pick up a pair of uh, shorts at the end of the season that I can swim in, and a shirt, and it was discounted. And then I wanted to replace my work coat, and they had some work coats there, and so I looked at it, but the work coats weren't on sale. And I'm like, seriously? All of this stuff that rich people can afford is on sale, but the stuff that a working stiff would actually use, you got to pay full price for. How in the world does that make sense? So at any rate, so they shipped the stuff to me, and then I got this little, uh, this little uh, catalog, okay, and um, it's from Yvonne. Um, for those of you who don't know, Yvonne Chouinard is the founder of Patagonia, and, and basically it's, it's, well, the title of the, of the brochure is Why Recycle, Right? And, and Yvonne writes, or his copywriters write, the earth is drowning in plastic, 8.3 billion tons. Some of you are really freaking out right now. Hang on. Be with me. Work with me. Trust me. I love Jesus. You love Jesus. Don't shut me out. So Yvonne says, this is why we're dedicating an entire Patagonia gear issue to recycling. Not because we have all the answers, but because we're determined to do our part. And some of you may be like, yeah, Yvonne's just in it to line his own pocketbook, and, and he does well. But think about this. The simple reality is that evil exists in the world, not because of God, but because of humans. And it's confusing at times because we look at verses like verse 3 and we're tempted to blame God. It's not God who's done evil. It's God responding to evil. It's God keeping evil in check. And sometimes unaware human agents have been used by God to keep something else in check. But the world, as far as the world being in a tough spot... It's in a tough spot because of humans, folks. Now, you might want to disagree with that, okay? You might want to disagree with that, okay? And say there's no problem. But you'd be wrong. Because the Bible clearly says it. And if you, if you need more proof than the Bible... Most Fortune 500 companies who have an interest in what our climate looks like are preparing for rising sea levels. So if the Bible doesn't work for you, just look to the business community because they're the ultimate authority, right? 
Again, stay with me, please. In the midst of what verse 5 is describing, at the exact same time, there is also good that is taking place. God's kingdom continues to move forward. It continues to expand in the hearts and minds of his faithful across the generations, across ethnic lines, across geographical borders. And, and it, it's, the, again, this duality, right? That at the time when, when literally the earth is, according to Isaiah, cursed, there's also a remnant of faithful folk who are following God and making a difference in their sphere of influence. Faced with what Isaiah chapter 24, verse 5 says, it would be easy to throw our hands up, right? What good could I possibly do if this is what is going to happen? And I get that. Sometimes it seems overwhelming. Sometimes when you see issues that are deeply personal to you, maybe not deeply personal to everyone in the room, some of you may cry for a, a more just society. Some of you may sing an immigrant song. Some of us may talk about what, why in the world are we throwing so much stuff away. Okay, wh- whatever the issues are, it's so easy to throw up our hands and say, what good can I possibly do? And I get that. But say that one day you stand before a holy God. And he says, you know, let, let, let's talk about that Sunday. When you're challenged to think more broadly than you'd ever thought before. What did you do with that Sunday? This last week, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal, okay, and it was about it was little sea otters, okay, little tiny sea otters, you know, and how sea otters grow up and get big, right? And they go through this period called adolescence, okay? In fact, most animals, including humans, go through adolescence, and the dangerous thing about adolescence is that you can die from it, okay? It, like in all, in all of the world, adolescence can kill you because you're big enough to be looking like a human being, okay, but you're not smart enough to be an adult. And so there's higher rates of mortality in the adolescent world, whether or not you're a little tiny sea otter off the course of California, okay, which they swim into this, this, this triangle of death because they want to get food, and the food, they have to cross this area where there's sharks, and if the sharks get a sea otter, the sea otter's over, okay? But if the, the sea otters experiment enough and are taught by their folk how to get in and out without dying, then they survive to adulthood. Yay! That's the goal, Right? Yes, 100% correct. And it's true whether or not you're a sea otter or whether or not you're an eagle or whether or not you're a kid. Dying accidentally, according to the article, is a particularly danger throughout wildhood. Adolescent humans are far more likely to be killed by car crashes, gun violence, poisoning, suffocation, and electrocution than older or younger people. An adolescent is more likely to drink themselves to death and five times more likely to be the victims of homicide. The article ends with this simple, this simple truth, if you will. To become mature, 
Animal adolescents must use the time to learn and practice the key skills of life. To grow up into adults, our teenagers must do it. And to that article, I think Isaiah would say, Amen. See, the problem that we have in our lives is that we're willing to learn about life, but we're unwilling to learn what a God-ordered life looks like. And when we take a text like Isaiah chapter 24, we quickly push the pieces away that we don't like because of how it makes it feel or because it might disagree with a political position that we hold. And the fact of the matter is, the world's in the tough spot it is because of humans. And until we realize that all of us all of us need a relationship with the God of the universe. Until we get to that point, folks, un until it really sinks in, this isn't a complex message. This isn't brain science. This isn't pre-calc. This is simple. Certainly not simplistic, but it's simple. We, we need to be saved from ourselves. You, me, we need to be saved from ourselves. The text really concludes with a, this picture of what's happening on earth, but then also this reality of something that's happening someplace else. Not exactly sure where that is. Verse 14, they lift up their voices. Who's the they? We, we really don't know. They sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They shout from the west. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. In the coastlines of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. Skipping down to verse 23. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed. It's kind of like in this day, the, the moon and the sun are like, yeah, I got no game in this at all. I'm just going to get out of the way. Why? Check this out. This is so like cool. For the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before the elders. If you've ever looked at the sun and been like, okay, the sun's got no game, because the intensity of something else makes the sun pale in comparison. The intensity of God fully revealed, the transcendence of God reigning over all, God on throne, this course, this assemble, this people of God who are faithful to God, talking about God, singing songs to God. I just, I'm just like, I want to be there. And right after that, I think, what makes me think I'll be able to handle it? I mean, without question, we can appear before God because of his grace, his offer of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. That's a gift from God that we accept by mental assent. But the intensity, the intensity 
of what is described, I think it would blow me away. I mean, some of us, and at various times in my life, this has been true of me. I can barely stand to be in the presence of God for just a short period of time. How in the world, or in the next world, do I think I'd enjoy being with God 24-7? I mean, his intensity, his radiance. And some of you are thinking, uh, it kind of sounds like you're saying we shouldn't aspire to this. No, far from it. Get ready for the day. Learn the ways of God. Delight in being in relationship with God. And it's a picture that, again, is so, so close to Revelation. Check out chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, okay? It's like an enhanced version of verse 23 in chapter 24. And it makes me so happy. It makes me so jazzed. Because the day is coming, the hope is there, that even though the reality of the world in which I live has this bad stuff, but also this good stuff going on, that one day that is all over and I'm face to face with the radiant intensity of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Uncertainty is this weird thing, right? Last week we touched on the theme of being so certain about thinking how we know so much, holding so much that we think we know so tightly. And this week, uncertainty could grip us. When does this all happen? What does this look like? And will I be ready? And can I trust enough to hold my own thoughts in tension with the reality of who God is in a given moment? Can I trust enough that I hold my own thoughts in tension with the reality of who God is in a given moment, understanding that staying in the moment is critical for me? Worrying about tomorrow is one of the worst things that I can do. But also understanding that God is so far beyond the moment, leading, guiding, directing. If I'm, if I'm just staying connected to Him. And so it's what I offer you. Nothing that I can produce, but something that has been produced by the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. A relationship and the reality that each of us have the opportunity to experience that and the reality that each of us have the opportunity because of God to change our sphere of influence. To be passionate about the things of God. To be passionate about the creation in which we're placed. To be passionate about not just starting a relationship with the God of the universe, but growing in that relationship each and every day of our lives. Go with that challenge. Please pray with me.
Father, sometimes I wonder if your heart aches. If you feel pain for the condition in which your world exists. I wonder if your heart aches when you read the headlines and see acts of injustice and heavy, heavy stuff. And likewise, Father, I wonder if your heart soars when you hear people sing to you, when you see good prevailing over evil, when you see righteousness. Father, I come to you today. We come to you today. For those of us that haven't started a relationship with you, God, send your spirit to work in our lives in a powerful way to draw us to you. Draw us to the point where we can say yes to Jesus as our Savior. Asking for forgiveness for the harm that we've caused in the world in which we live. Asking to be redeemed, to be restored. And likewise, Father, in the reality of the world in which we live, let our eyes be focused on you. What you invite us to do and how you invite us to behave that's consistent with who you are, consistent with the Spirit's leading in our lives. It is critical for us to pay attention, oh God. Draw us to you. Thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.